Engaged couples often look at one another and think, we're so much alike. Then after they've been married for a little while, they look at each other and think, who are you? Here's Barbara Rainey. What happens when we're engaged, we tend to think, oh, we're so much alike and we love each other so much, we'll never have clashes. And I think one of the first difficulties for most young couples is they're caught off guard by these differences and they don't know what to do with them. And they go from being cute and attractive to being downright ugly or frustrating. All of a sudden, what was cute isn't so cute anymore, and you think, now what do I do? This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. So what advice would you give to young wives and their husbands about the adjustments we make in marriage? We're going to hear what Barbara Rainey has to say about that today. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. I I am really enjoying learning lots of new things about you. You're just you're <laughs> eavesdropping, Barbara. Well, it's legitimate eavesdropping because of what your wife's been writing about. This has been so much fun to read. I think I want to welcome her to Family Life Today, <laughs> sweetheart. Maybe we don't. Huh? <laughs> this is my bride, and she has plenty of stories to tell. And and you have just recently, by the way, welcome, Barbara. Nice Thank to have you, you here. You've been collecting these stories, not to share with the world your stories, but really to a mentor. You, you've become an e-mentor, haven't you? Yes, and I'm really writing this for uh, six women, six young women, who happen to be my four daughters and two daughters-in-law, to share with them the lessons that I've learned over all these years of marriage in hopes that it will encourage them and give them hope and help them help them persevere for the long haul. But it actually started, uh, back to Bob's point, about from an e-mentoring standpoint, uh, really started on the internet as you were it writing. Did. That's right. Writing emails to mm-hmm. to uh, your daughters and daughter in laws, so that mm-hmm. uh, you'd be able to coach them, encourage them in the process. Did you start doing this right after Ashley got married? No, actually, it was after our two boys got married. They got married the same summer, the summer of two thousand and one. And one of those two girls asked me if I would give her some advice on being a wife, and I thought, wow. She really wants my advice. And I thought, well, if she cracked the door open a little bit, I'm going to just walk right on through while the door is open. So I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I began writing a series of letters in the fall of 2001 to my two brand new daughters-in-law and to my daughter, Ashley, who by then had been married four years. And, you know, a lot of wives will hear you say that and they'll think, boy, if somebody asked me. I wouldn't know where to start or what to say, it, but it sounds like you were ready to dive right in with well, with wisdom. I, well, I don't know that I would say it that way, but I, I was ready to dive in in the sense that I felt like now was the time because all new brides are extremely teachable. Uh, they're eager. They want to learn. They want to do it right. They don't want to make mistakes. They really love this guy they just married. So they're most teachable and most coachable in those early years. And so I wanted to begin by sort of exploiting that in, in a sense, in a good way and saying, here are some things that I learned. Here are some lessons I learned along the way. Here are some stories of what we went through, what I learned from it, and perhaps it'll be helpful. You know, over the years, we've, um, who knows how many hundreds of weekend to remember marriage getaways that have been held by family life. And we've We've looked into the eyes of those in attendance, and it does seem that the engaged couples and the newly marrieds 
are not only a, on a steep learning curve, but they're they're much more teachable and kind of spongy in terms of soaking in the truth. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we wanted to do and what I encourage Barbara to do with this book is take advantage of a window into the soul to speak a lot of relevant truth that she's learned as a woman from the scriptures and from other older women who have coached her and uh, really help help these young wives get started uh, on the right trajectory. But they didn't ask you about a specific subject. Mm-mm. They just said, help Mm-mm. me be a wife. So how did you know, okay, I'll start here? Well, what I did is I just thought back to those early days in our marriage and tried to remember what were the lessons that I learned. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Um, like what, like that early romantic date that Dennis yeah, took you on? Well, yeah, like that one. Tell tell our <laughs> listeners about this, this how, how, Prince like Charming, this, <laughs> how Prince Charming swept you off your feet. Yeah. Well, we were dating in the summer of 1972, which was, of course, in the Dark Ages. And um, one Saturday, or it was probably on a Friday afternoon, Dennis asked if I wanted to hang out on Saturday afternoon. And I said, sure. And he picked me up. Now, let me interrupt you just so we get a context. You guys had been friends for years. Yes. Since college. Yes. After college, you went to the East Coast and worked uh, with Campus Crusade. University of South Carolina. And where did you go? I was uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth area, working with high school kids. And you you kept up your friendship, but there was nothing romantic between the two of you. nothing romantic. We had been really good friends for three years. I really thought of Dennis as a brother. Um, He was just a great, great friend and... She showed up in Dallas and uh, needed to be shown around, kind of where everything was, kind of how you get around. So I'd pick her up, take her to work. Now, were you thinking of her like your sister at this point? uh, Yeah, I really was. It was not romantic. It really wasn't, which is really a cheap shot on your part (laughs) to to call out this thing that I took her on as a romantic date. Because we were just hanging out. That's right. We were. Was this before this date we're about to talk Uh about? uh Was this before or after you had tried to hold hands with her in the parking oh, lot. Way oh, gosh, before. I have no idea. Oh, way, be- way before. <laughs> I really? Would, I would oh, yeah. think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I so would guess. it's just friends, hey, do you want to hang out tomorrow? Yeah, and we'd, you know, and I'd take her back to her apartment, mm-hmm. and we'd kind of sit on the the stairs and talk. and Just visit. Mm-hmm. till mm-hmm. about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> just like a couple of friends. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so he says, you want to hang out tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. and he comes and picks you up. He did. Did you his... know where you were going? You know, I don't remember. It was too long ago. I don't remember if I knew or not, but I knew it was casual. I knew we were going to go on a picnic, and um, he took me to some remote place outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. Now, wait, I got to stop you again. If you're taking her on a picnic, you're not taking your your buddy, let's go hang out on a picnic. There's more going on here in your mind (laughs) than just let's hang out together. She needed to understand where the riverbanks were. All right. We we understand one another (laughs) here. Okay. So he picks you up. Yep. And we take off to parts unknown because I'd never really been in Texas in my life. I didn't know where we were going, but I trusted him and we show up at this stream or river or pool of water or something. I don't know what it was. I don't know and where we, it was. It was below a dam somewhere. Gosh, I couldn't begin to tell you. It was you. murky. It was fishy smelling. All I know it was is a he great pulls date. out a fishing 
pole, fishing rod, fishing thing. I didn't know what a fishing thing was. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never been fishing in my life. My dad didn't fish. My brothers didn't fish. I didn't know anything about it. And here we are on a picnic and he goes fishing. And so I just sat there and watched him and thought, this is interesting. (laughs) And, and, you know, here's the thing, looking back on it, it wasn't even a romantic kind of fish. You know, trout, a rainbow (laughs) trout has a sense of aesthetics Mm -hmm. to it. It's beautiful. Yeah. The rainbow colors jumps out of the water, you know. When You weren't when, fishing trout this we day? We were not fishing for trout near Dallas. What were you fishing? Carp. <laughs> oh, <gee>. Hey, <laughs> trash fish. <laughs> I mean, it was not a day, Bob. Uh, it was just, we were just hanging out and... That he was, was clearly what? not trying to impress me, no, don't you think? No, clearly not trying to impress <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, really. I mean, seriously. <laughs> but but oh, one of the things funny. you observed or learned, and when you shared this story with your daughters, it was really to talk about the fact that in relationships, you got to make some adjustments and be ready for the fact that you're two very different people. Exactly. Because after we married about three months later... We moved to Colorado, and in Colorado, there was abundant fishing of the beautiful kind, which is trout in Rocky Mountain streams. You married three months later after the fishing date. You caught up on that small detail. I just thought our listeners ought to be aware. (laughs) It went from zero to 60. I'm a a man of action, This was a sports car relationship. (laughs) Good analogy. I said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is my wife. Let's begin our life together. Yeah, we decided if it was God's will, you don't... You know, dilly-dally around. I'm not for long engagements. Now, I think there may be circumstances that demand that, but in this particular case, we'd been friends for uh, the better part of three and a half, maybe four years. We knew each other well. We'd been together 52 days out of 55, me taking her to work. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, what's God's will about this relationship? So so from, (laughs) from the day you said, will you, to the day you said, I do was six weeks. Six weeks? Six weeks. I, I was really popular with her mother. <laughs> <laughs> her mother loved me for a number of years. I know. Barbara, a lot, of, mom. a lot of girls will say, but I need time to plan the mm-hmm. wedding. You didn't say that? Well, no, because that was a lot of years ago, and we didn't plan the kinds of extravagant weddings that girls plan nowadays. So we had four bridesmaids and four groomsmen, and we said very simple vows, and we didn't write our own, and we didn't have elaborate anything. We had cake and punch, and we were done. It was real simple. You said, I'll be the fish queen for as long <laughs> as we both show. <laughs> and then on our honeymoon, I took her camping yeah. and trout fishing. So I made up for the carp fishing. I see? guess you did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> we need to get to the point of the book though she's talking about how they how we as men and women are different that's right and i mean we did start out our marriage really not polar opposites because we enjoyed one another yeah we had a great time but had you asked me what i would have pictured for the early years of our marriage i would not have pictured traipsing around in the mountains fishing and camping and all of those things because none of that was a part of my background growing up they were totally brand new experiences and so i learned by those experiences that marrying someone is merging together two vastly different not just personalities but life experiences and as dennis used to say all the time it's like merging two countries Mm -hmm. because we are very different as men and women. We're very different in our life experiences, our outlook. Everything is different. And so those early years are years of discovery. And what you do with what you discover sets the tone and the foundation for your marriage. Some of those differences are 
are, are differences where you go, well, that's that's kind of nice mm-hmm. that he's like that. Some of them are, well, that's kind of interesting that he's like that. <laughs> then some of them are, wait I'm not so a sure s- I like that. <laughs> well, when I took her ice fishing, that had to be one of those. <laughs> that was it. That was, we actually used a, a pickaxe to knock a hole. No, you're serious. You went ice fishing we went with her? We did. Yes. Our first year of marriage. And I'm not saying it was cold. But after we caught the brook trout and we brought them up out of the water, they were flash frozen instantly <laughs> you, in the air. You must have. I've got pictures of Barbara. Really? She had there. enough layers of clothes mm-hmm. that if the ice would have broken, there would have been no saving her. You, you must have really been taken with this guy when he says, let's go ice fishing. And you said, yeah, sweetheart, let's do that. You know, we lived in Colorado, and neither one of us had ever lived there before. My family was far away. I had no friends. His family was far away. He had no friends. We had each other, and that was it. And so when he said, let's go ice fishing, I thought, you know, why not? Well, obviously, we're talking to Barbara Rainey, who is joining us today on Family Life Today. We're talking about the wisdom that you want to pass on to younger women, specifically to your daughters, about being a wife. You've just written a book called Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife. So what are the big ideas that you want to pass on to your daughters in this area of marital differences? Well, first of all, the first big idea is that there are going to be differences, and it's normal to be diametrically opposite on all kinds of fronts. Because what happens when we're engaged and dating, but then engaged, we tend to think, oh, we're so much alike and we love each other so much. We'll never have clashes. We'll, yeah, if we do, we'll, we can handle them. You know, we, we love each other so much that it's not going to be difficult. And I think one of the first difficulties for most young couples is they're caught off guard by these differences and they don't know what to do with them and they go from being cute and attractive to being downright ugly or frustrating Mm -hmm. all of a sudden what was cute isn't so cute anymore and you think now what do i do well and we have this tendency to think different means wrong wrong Mm -hmm. this is the way i think and it's the way i'm i think naturally so i must be right and if you think differently we need to fix you so you think like me Mm -hmm. And that's part of the awakening and adjusting that both wives and husbands have to do in the early stages of a relationship, Exactly, because that's one of the beautiful things about marriage is how it broadens our perspective. And I, I write about that in telling these stories about fishing. I knew nothing about fishing. I knew nothing about camping. But because of who I married, the horizons of my life have been greatly expanded and broadened. And I could have either fought that and resisted that and said, I don't want any part of that. That's foreign to me. I don't like it. But by embracing who he was and his differences as a person, my life is much richer because of that. And I think if we can encourage these young wives and husbands too, but this is for the wives right now, to welcome those differences as an opportunity to grow as an individual, it will make it easier. I like what you wrote in your book here. You said, these new realities created some minor earthquakes in my life, rumblings that shook my familiar, comfortable foundation. I was discovering that we were not as much alike as I'd originally thought. We were opposites who attracted to one another, but found ourselves like magnets that repel each other. And then she goes on to write about how I would make a decision compared to how she would make one. Mm -hmm. I'd see something that needed to be done or something I felt like we ought to go do. 
I'd process at the speed of light, and off we'd go. Right. Barbara, on the other hand, processes a little slower. She, in fact, a lot slower. A lot slower. A little more thoughtfully, with a little broader perspective. And and Mm -hmm. I've been enriched by that. But I promise you, if early in our marriage we had set up war with one another in two separate bunkers, Mm -hmm. you could easily have built a case between two very different people who had started out their marriage together, but now really can't get along and don't see one another as we teach at the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway uh, as God's gift for you, mm-hmm. God's perfect gift for you. You describe how you began to approach these differences in your marriage. At, you called it the bookend principle. Mm-hmm. Explain what that is. Well, the bookend principle is something that Dennis and I practiced with one another and then after the fact sort of came up with the name for that. But what we have done through the years is when we've had disagreements over our differences or conversations trying to understand one another, we would say to each other, I love you and I would marry you all over again. This may be hard. This may be confusing. This may be difficult. It may not be fixed in a single conversation like we would always like, but that's okay. I love you and I'm committed to you and I would do it all over again. And so that that statement of reaffirmation of our, of our vows and our commitment to one another provides a level of security to continue to have these discussions about our differences. And I think it's a it's a good habit. It was a good habit for us because you can get so caught up in how different we are and how his differences grate on me or make life difficult for me and my differences make life difficult for him that you can subtly switch to becoming enemies rather than allies. Well, were there times or events or evenings when you weren't sure you loved him and you weren't sure you'd marry him all over again? No. I mean, there were times when I didn't feel loving uh, without question, but I never got to the place where I thought this was a big mistake because I knew God had called us to marry each other, and I knew that we were doing what we were supposed to do. And so, therefore, if this was God's will, and it was, then He would enable us to figure it out with time. That issue was settled. Yes, that that wasn't open for re-evaluation, nope. re-examination, Mm-mm. re-discussion. At some point, when you stood and said, I do, the ships were burned. You weren't going to reconsider whether— And I think that's the mistake too many young couples are making today is they get into it, and it becomes difficult. And instead of saying, we can work this out, they say, gosh, we must have made a mistake. And so they move to, this is a mistake, and um, maybe there's a way out rather than, we can find a way through this. We can make it work and stick with it for the long haul. I look back on our marriage, and I don't ever remember entertaining the thought. And I mean by entertaining, I'm talking about cultivating the thought that I'd made a mistake. And I do wonder, looking back on it, this bookend principle of kind of starting out with a commitment that says, I love you, and then maybe in the midst of an argument or after the argument has been exhausted— you say again, I'm committed to you. I'd marry you all over again. It creates a safe place for two imperfect, very different people to hammer out their relationship together. I think um, we're an instant culture that is not used to uh, having to take a lifetime to achieve this thing called oneness. And what we were doing back then, we were going through some very hard ground. I mean, it had not been plowed before. Two very Independent people who had joined together in marriage, 
and who did rub one another the wrong way and who, in their differences, missed each other over and over and over again, and as a result, miscommunicated, disappointed, hurt one another. And uh, how do you maintain a relationship in the midst of that if you're not committed? Yeah, I think it's important because we can laugh about fishing dates and, <laughs> and whether you like fishing or not. But a lot of folks who are listening are going, look, our differences are not around whether you yeah, like fishing or not. Exactly. Our differences are around core, fundamental, deeply held issues in life. And the fact that we're miles apart on this, I just don't know how to how to live with a husband or a wife who does not embrace what's dear to me at the center of my being. Mm-hmm. And that is a very difficult place to be. And even though Dennis and I never really had a crisis quite to that depth, we missed each other plenty of times. And there are seasons in a marriage when it's very dry and when there doesn't feel like there is much life. But I would have to say that there is hope. There is always hope, as long as we have breath, that if you are committed and you are teachable, both of you are teachable, and you hang in there, there will be a solution given time. And I I think that we expect too much too quickly. We would like to have it happen quickly. I would like to have it happen more quickly, too. But that's just not the way of a marriage. A marriage is, is slow, steady growth over a long length of time. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the way God commands a marriage to start is he commanded a man and a woman to leave father and mother. He commanded them to cleave to one another, to be committed to one another. And third, he commanded them to receive one another, to receive the other person as God's gift for you. And if you practice those those three concepts, leave, cleave, and receive— over and over and over again, if you practice that in your marriage, especially in the early years, it doesn't mean it's ever going to be easy. Mm -hmm. I asked Barbara how she would summarize our marriage, and, you know, I was kind of hoping for romantic, (laughs) chill bumps. Wonderful. You know, but instead you said? It's been hard. Hard work. Hard work. Mm -hmm. Lots of hard work. And I think a lot of young couples, and for that matter, older couples are starting out marriages today not really expecting it to be as challenging and to demand perseverance like it does. I just have to come back around here because you're right in this section of your book that not only did your marriage start off with fishing, but through the years you've learned to enjoy hunting with your husband? Is that true? Well, not in his, de- by def- his definition, no, not by... I was, I was waiting for the answer yeah. to that question. I'm going to read to you what okay, you wrote. Okay, okay, read what I wrote. And I have learned to appreciate hunting. Yes, appreciate. Maybe appreciate's appreciate a different word a better then. word. Mm-hmm. I actually went with him mm-hmm. on an elk hunt a few years ago mm-hmm. with I the did. camo, the face paint, and the human scent killer sprayed on my body. <laughs> I did. Aren't Aren't you you impressed? impressed? That's what you say right here. Aren't you impressed? We hiked and hiked and snuck up on a herd of elk hiding behind trees like clandestine spies following a double agent down a dark alley in Eastern Europe. It was really fun. It was fun. (laughs) Are you surprised, Bob? You'd look genuinely shocked. (laughs) I I just wish there was a picture of you in the camo and the, uh, the face paint. 
and and out yeah. in the woods, uh-huh. like a, sneaking around. But hearing you describe it as an Eastern European adventure, you were just having this this alternate <laughs> fantasy experience going. On. Maybe that's what made it enjoyable. <laughs> You're going. I'm going to disassociate. Yeah. Forget, forget, forget the animals <laughs> and pretend like I'm in Eastern Europe, and then it'll be fun. Spies. <laughs> but but the point is that. We're going to face these differences in the first years of our marriage. Mm-hmm. Some of them crop up 10 years in, 15. It's it's a lifelong process of exactly. understanding we're different and making those adjustments. And that really is the point that I'm trying to make with these girls, is that the differences are there, they're not to be changed, and they're going to be there for life. And I think we somehow assume early on that a lot of this stuff is going to subside or change or moderate, but who we are is who we are, and I'm just amazed at how little really changes over time. And so, you know, you either fight it and resent it and resist it, or you join and you en- and learn to actually enjoy it and appreciate it. Now, do I love to go hunting? No. I enjoyed that because it, it was active and we were hiking in the mountains and it was beautiful. And, but, it, and it was warm. And it was reasonably warm, yes. But the kind of hunting that he is often inviting me to go on, which I have refused, is the kind where you get up at three or four in the morning in the winter and you go sit and you can't talk. You can hardly breathe, and it's freezing. This, and I'm thinking, if I can't say, do you see anything? How long will we be here? How much longer do I have to If I can't I'm, say anything. I'm cold. Did you know? Yeah, did you I'm know? hungry. Women say 50,000 words a day. Men can get by on a, a couple of dozen. That's right. <laughs> this just doesn't work in a deer stand. Yeah. So, you know, hiking in the mountains, I could, we could talk as we went until we actually saw the elk, and then we had to be quiet. But it was a much different kind of experience, and so I could appreciate that one. But sitting in a deer stand, I've done it once, and I'm not really interested in going there again. Well, the point is you don't have to be interested in going there again to make your marriage work. I mean, this is a part of the the dance. One of your chapters in your book, Marriage is Like Beautiful Dancing. Part of the dance is understanding what we do together and where it's better to leave each other some space and some time to do things apart. Mm-hmm. I just think you have given some real great practical wisdom to a lot of wives in what you've written in your book, Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife. Uh, it's a brand new book. It's just now released, and we have copies, of course, in our Family Life Today Resource Center. We would love to get a copy to you. You may know a young woman who is getting married this spring. You may know a young wife who is in her first few years of marriage. Or you may know someone who's been married for a long time but who would benefit from hearing Barbara's wisdom on how, as a wife, you can make your marriage a masterpiece. That's what this book is all about. Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife by Barbara Rainey. It's brand new, and you can go to familylifetoday.com to request your copy, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to order over the phone. So again, website, familylifetoday.com, or call 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today, and ask for the book Letters to My Daughters when you get in touch with us. Now, as both of you guys know, this is our 40th anniversary as a ministry, 2016, and so all year long, we are celebrating anniversaries. 
And today we want to congratulate Abigail and Angelo Pinero. They live in Princeton, New Jersey. They listen to Family Life Today on WFIL. They're celebrating 21 years of marriage today. And by the way, Barbara, they are fans of uh, Everdine Home, the resources that you've created. They have used the How Do I Love Thee resource, which we just talked about right before Valentine's Day. Congratulations to the Paneros. Happy anniversary. We'd love to help you celebrate your anniversary this year. In fact, if you will go to FamilyLifeToday.com and leave us your anniversary date, we'll have some suggestions for you this year on how this year's anniversary can be the best anniversary ever. And it's all because we are the proud sponsor of anniversaries. There are a lot of anniversaries that have happened over the years because of how God has used family life in people's lives for 40 years now. Thanks to those of you who make family life possible. We're listener-supported. We depend on your donations in order for this ministry to exist. And we're grateful for our legacy partners and for those of you who will, from time to time, make a donation in support of what we're doing. And this month, we're hoping that God might raise up in every state where Family Life Today is heard 20 new families who would join us as legacy partners. So we're asking you, if you're a regular Family Life Today listener, if God's used this ministry in your life, would you be one of the families in your state to help support this program, it's easy to do. Go to FamilyLifeToday.com and click the button that says Donate, and there's information there about becoming a legacy partner or about how you can make a one-time gift to Family Life Today. Again, the website is FamilyLifeToday.com. You can also call and say, I'm interested in becoming a legacy partner, and we'll explain the whole process to you when you call 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about the spiritual foundation in a marriage and how important that is. Barbara Rainey will be back with us. Hope you can be here as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.